When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Real Vision, the Defiance weekly show, flogging the top stories into submission with wit, insight, and a frightening lack of respect. And in my case, at least one whole can of hairspray. It takes a lot of work to keep this bonnet in check. And joining me for this flash bash of the cash crisis we call cash, it's Ash Bennington, while the other chair is poised precariously on its points. And the terrifying knowledge that the person perfectly perched upon it can only be Camilla Russo. I'm, of course, the Defiance in-house wordsmith. This is the show. Ash, welcome back. It's been a while. It's been a while, man. It's good to be back. Cami, how are you? I am good. Very happy to be here. A little bit sore because I started going to the gym. But other than that, <laughs> ready to roll. I thought you were going to say you've, you've been to Bitcoin Miami and a bunch of other <laughs> conferences. And it's just it takes a toll on the, on the physique. Yeah, it sure yeah, did. That, that as well. <laughs> are we seeing some spring and early summer joy in the markets? Ashley, what are you noticing out there? Yeah, exactly, Robin. Uh, markets right now uh, above some of the key price levels that we saw uh, for support. Bitcoin right now trading at forty-one thousand five seventy-two. Ethereum uh, at thirty. Excuse me, at three thousand ninety-nine. Uh, this is according to Coin Market Cap. These are obviously some critical levels that we see above the forty thousand level and above the three thousand level, which have been breached uh, a bit earlier. Cami, are you seeing some optimism from the DeFi side of things? Look, like I think, yes, I am. Maybe we are. We'll see a bit of relief uh, from people being done selling uh, their crypto to pay uh, taxes, and uh, I'm I'm so glad that's over as well. <laughs> um, ripping off the bandaid. But um, I think, you know, like this year comes with so many headwinds uh, for crypto. And we've talked about this before. Um, it, you know, we, we are uh, following a huge run up, a huge bull market that was the past couple of years. Um, there's this whole macro environment with interest rates rising, with a war uh, happening in Ukraine. Um, so I, I don't know, like I'm not very optimistic that we'll kind of like everything will just magically go away and crypto will return uh, to a bull market. I think we'll continue to see a lot of uh, volatility. Hey, can I pick up on that tax selling point? Because it's a really interesting one. Uh, there's a chart that I saw uh, in a Coindesk story. It's a, a joint NY Dig uh, Bloomberg chart uh, that shows the correlation between NASDAQ composite index and Bitcoin uh, trading at 0.7. That's a correlation of about 70%. So what we're seeing right now, uh, it seems, uh, is this sort of traditional assetification, I don't know if that's a word, uh, of what's happening in Bitcoin as people are making moves uh, around tax season. So it's a really interesting thing that we're seeing. This is not something that historically uh, has played a major role in markets when you go back several years. So this really does look as though we're starting to see uh, Bitcoin and potentially other crypto assets come more into the traditional tax regime in terms of the way investors are beginning to hold those assets, Robin. Do you think that's a reflection of who's holding Bitcoin and their natural seasonal habits as as people that deal with money on a daily basis? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right and very well said. It's about the broadening of the base uh, of the asset class. Uh, if you'd gone back, say, five years, I don't think this was the case. Uh, we didn't see this type of pattern uh, to quite the degree of correlation that we do now. But what we're seeing, uh, exactly to your point, is this notion that Bitcoin is trading effectively uh, like growth stocks. That shows uh, something about who's buying it and the way they're thinking about those assets. I was doing a piece this week on just getting started in crypto. And it feels like we should have done this piece like four years ago, but I, I was reminded of just what a journey it is, even just to get to a wallet. And then we start talking about volatility and it's a, you start talking about the risks. This is a volatile market. And then I looked at the Tesla chart. as like, it's every bit as volatile as the Bitcoin chart. It's just, nobody thinks of it that way. It's this kind of blue chip, but I mean, well, I wouldn't say Tesla is a blue chip. Tesla is very much a, a growth stock uh, and very much one that has a, a sort of a market darling uh, effect because people are incredibly bullish about ultimately the outlook uh, for where electric vehicles will go and the belief in Elon Musk's leadership. Uh, but it doesn't trade, uh, for example, the way a, a boring Dow Jones Industrial Average stock would, uh, that would be basically trading at a, at a very sort of uh, narrow, justifiable multiple uh, based on earnings. So, you know, to your point, I think you make a really good, uh, a really good one. And it's an interesting analysis that you begin to see uh, perhaps the extreme growthy end of the spectrum with tech stocks starting to look very similar to the way uh, that digital assets are trading, but it's kind of a continuum. Uh, and I think that maybe in some ways that that represents some aspect of, of what's happened when you have this massive glut of liquidity in markets uh, from from, you know, many years of coordinated central bank easing that's now beginning to come to an end. And that's also sort of a key inflection point that's going to be very interesting to watch, Robin. You caught me out using the term blue chip. And you're absolutely right. I have become anesthetized to the sort of general misappropriation of terms in this market, particularly when it comes to NFTs. Like people have been using the word, like the phrase blue chip in relation to things like bored apes and punks and everything else. They're not at all what we would consider blue chips. They're just elevated price wise. And that's kind of it. But like we, we use that term in, in DeFi as well, don't we, Cammy? We, we talk about blue chip DeFi projects. Mm -hmm. are, are we completely just, just off base here or is, is it really we don't have the right terms to describe these earlier and more established projects no i think we we as in kind of you know in DeFi, um borrow terms from traditional finance even though they don't perfectly fit uh in the same way but everyone kind of has this general knowledge that a blue chip means um, an, a financial asset that has this kind of um, maturity, like longer standing reputation that's that's been around, you know, for a while. Um, and that's hard in a space that's only been uh, around for two years or, or three years max, you know, for, <laughs> for DeFi. Um, but, you know, blue chips in DeFi are things like Compound like MakerDAO, like Aave, um, just like the very first protocols that started making up the space, um, and you know things like Yearn, like the first uh, yield um, aggregator, and, and so on. And um, it, I remember there was um, a, a point where a, a lot of these like so-called blue chip DeFi uh, tokens also had a blue logo. Um, so that kind of like helped uh, bring the meme 
to life. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's kind of co-opting terms that we understand from TradFi, but don't necessarily fit um, in the same way. Yeah, I think you guys both nailed it. That's what we do. We borrow terms in ways uh, that try and make things analogous. But uh, to your point, Robin, I think absolutely spot on. These things are incredibly relative. So I'm looking right now at the Investopedia definition of blue chip, uh, established, stable, and well-recognized. Now, on a relative basis, you could say Bored Apes uh, are a blue chip NFT in the, in the sense of relative to the rest of the asset class. But I think it's important for people to understand uh, that these are obviously highly, highly speculative. Uh, it's worth thinking about a little bit the distinction between uh, the way securities trade, uh, for example, at least in theory, uh, and the way digital assets trade. Uh, the most important point to make about NFTs is there are no cash flows. When you buy a bond, for example, you're making a bet uh, on whether or not you believe uh, the creditor is able to make timely uh, payments on principal and interest. When you buy a stock, you're basically speculating on uh, the, the relative multiple that it's trading above uh, its cash flows, above its earnings. When you're buying an NFT, uh, you, you, there's no fundamental basis to make that analysis. It's purely a speculative bet. Now, that's not to say uh, that it's necessarily uh, something that's going to go down, but people need to understand when they're, when they're buying into these tokens what they're getting uh, and why they're doing it. Well, do they? The, the, the classic retail meme stonk investor doesn't care. They want the story. And that's, that's where the NFTs are so powerful, but also so toxic in a sense, because they overvalue the story above everything else. I was reading an interesting article together uh, the other day about these NFTs that supply their own native tokens through staking. So you lock up an NFT and you get these tokens dropped to you and it becomes this sort of self-perpetuating pyramid scheme unless it's backed by something. And there is one project on Solana that has something to back it up, which is kind of sort of getting to where, what your point is, there is, there is a profitable activity which can be used to back up the value of the token that they're dropping to you. Otherwise, you're literally just expecting other people to buy an NFT, stake it. There's a cost to that NFT purchase, but you'll never make it up through staking because it's impossible. So you just need people to keep buying the NFT. And then you get into a problem because if you lock the NFTs up, they're no longer on the market, so people can't buy them. And the whole thing becomes constipated. So inevitably, it diverges to zero. Fun stuff. I think, you know, the, the reason why we have this problem that uh, NFTs um, are, that it, it's hard to back NFTs with actual flows is basically um, regulatory constraints. Like the fear that if you do that, then the SEC is going to come down on you. Like it's going to crack down on you. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's a shame. I think um, if regulators were uh, more open to, you know, letting, letting people um, do whatever they want with their money um, and, and instead of, you know, kind of constraining this, this industry, um, I think we'd have a lot more sustainable uh, experiments um, and and business models. Um, I, I can kind of think of my own uh, NFT project with uh, the Infinite Machine. Ideally, I would love to give NFT holders um, a, a share of profits of, of the movie, of like royalties. Uh, I can't do that uh, because you know uh, there's lawyers will tell us no you, uh, th that that will be considered a security if you do that so we have to like do all of these like workarounds and and try to 
uh, offer some sort of value to NFT holders. Um, but it's it's only because there's this fear of of regulators cracking down. Um, and it's you know it, it's an example of how flawed uh, the regulatory framework has been uh, in regards to crypto. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, you've teed me up for a beautiful segue here because back in September last year, Coinbase launched a Lend product, or at least they tried to, and then the SEC said, ah, 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 and they they announced litigation straight away, and mm-hmm. Coinbase went, the hell? So Coinbase mm-hmm. is very, very sensitive to what the SEC will or won't like, and Coinbase is about to launch its NFT marketplace. This story broke literally 45 minutes before we started this stream, so we're a bit yeah. fresh to it. But mm-hmm. uh, Ash, do you have a, a hot take on this one for us? Well, uh, let me also just play a little bit of devil's advocate uh, to, to some of Cammy's points earlier. So I would say it isn't just the crypto space uh, that the SEC is cracking down on. Specifically, these are uh, laws that have been in place uh, for many decades, indeed, since the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, and, and the idea was that investors needed protection. Uh, and the reason that investors needed protection is because we saw all kinds of uh, egregious uh, types of, uh, of fraud uh, and fleecing of investors. And that's why you have uh, these ideas that were put in place by the those major acts uh, in the 1940s and 1930s. And also the Howey test. This is this idea uh, that if you have an investment of money uh, in a common enterprise with the expectation of a profit that's to be derived from the profit of others, uh, from the work of others, uh, that effectively you have a security. So, you know, I don't have uh, the answers here, obviously, but there are sort of compelling arguments, I think, on both sides for how this space uh, is 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 going to be regulated and how it's going to ultimately shake out. So it is, I think, a, a pretty complicated topic and um, and one that is intriguing to watch because you see the tensions uh, that I think Cammy pointed to uh, so elegantly, which is that there is this sort of desire to create. There's this desire to create, um, you know, these novel applications to do cool things with this very interesting new technology. And yet, at the same time, uh, there is this uh, this this fear uh, around investor protections, around fraud, and how that gets shaken out is really going to be, I think, one of the most interesting and compelling aspects of this space. To your point about the NFT marketplace uh, at Coinbase, I think on its face, uh, what it tells you is all these topics that we're talking about right now are things that are becoming broadly interesting to a very wide range of people. There's a reason why Coinbase uh, is launching uh, this marketplace. It's because there's incredible interest uh, from their customers and their potential customers uh, in NFTs. And it's really, uh, I think, going to be something that is a great test case for how this can work in a regulated environment. Coin, Coinbase, obviously a broker dealer uh, that's fully regulated uh, by a whole alphabet soup of agencies here in the United States. So it's going to be really interesting. And I think this sort of ties in nicely with what Cami was pointing out to see how this works uh, in NFTs with a regulatory framework around it. It really is. The numbers are staggering. I, I was just looking at how many customers Coinbase has. 89 million verified users. 89 million. Yeah. Crazy and they've nuts. all been AML KYC'd, right? Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's really a lot. That's the, that's way more than I, I, I knew. And actually, the, the 11,000 institutions and God knows how many ecosystem partners as well, it's, it's significant, actually. 
But my question there is, and I think the way that Coinbase is, is framing this NFT marketplace, I, I, of course, like I haven't used it, but I really like how they are building it um, because, you know, one thing I like is that it says that you can connect any self-custody wallet to this marketplace. So they're not kind of, they're not creating this like walled garden around Coinbase products. And it looks like it's not just for um, Coinbase uh, clients. Uh, if, if you're able to just come with your MetaMask and, and, and trade and sell and buy and sell NFTs, on, the, on this marketplace. Uh, so it's not necessarily the case that you'll have to, you know, uh, go through KYC and and have a trust Coinbase with, with your funds to trade NFTs if you can just plug in with, with self-custody wallets. Um, I think I think that's a great that's a great way uh, to build it. Very, very much kind of integrating with the rest of, of Web3. Um, so I thought that was really, really good. Um, and then the other aspect that's interesting is the social aspect, um, which this is, you know, what this space is all about, right? Community um, and connecting with people and sharing and commenting. And it looks like that's going to be a big part uh, of, of this, uh, of this platform. So I'm, I'm really interested to see. I, I think they've, it looks like they have been, kind of building, like they say in the open, I don't know how open actually, but at least that they've been getting, gathering a lot of feedback um, from the NFT community. And it's good that they they, they listened uh, to these requests because I think that's kind of exactly what this space is about. So still kind of TBD, how, how it all looks and, and works, but just by like reading this release, um, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on where this is going. But isn't so, it interesting that those non-custodial wallets then are going to be tied to a U.S. person that's been AML KYC'd? In other words, you've gone through the uh, AML KYC procedure. You've got their social security number. You've got all of their data. You've got their U.S. address uh, for U.S. persons. And now you can tie the non-custodial wallets cryptographically based on the fact that you were able to sign uh, that transaction to a U.S. individual. That has interesting tax implications. Yes, it does. It has, it, there's so many implications. Coinbase actually contacted me recently demanding a, a huge amount of data on me, which I was forced to give them because failure to comply would have resulted in the end of my Coinbase account, which I didn't really need at the time. But I can understand why this is happening. I just don't like it very much. But mm -hmm. I, I have seen a screen grab of, I mean, someone who's actually one of the first hundred people who's in. And you're absolutely right, Cami. It, it looks very social. And the first thing that springs to mind is this is Instagram for NFTs. Mm. Now, whether, whether you want, whether you want that or not from a highly centralized platform like Coinbase or not, it's definitely a differentiated product from OpenSea, which hoovers up the vast majority of the uh, revenue that comes from NFT sales at the moment. And I was looking at, you know, Bored Apes. There's just in the last 24 hours, they've done something like 5 million in sales. And you work out the royalties on that. That's just in the, the last 24 hours. They are making so much money. It's terrifying. And like Coinbase is going to generate so much revenue from this. I'm very curious to see what the listing fees are going to be. But definitely the social aspect to it is an add-on. It's a, it's a definite kind of community builder. And I remember when I first started using Instagram, I thought it was a set of filters that I could put on my, my photos. I never thought of it as a social 
media platform. But that's exactly its great power. And mm -hmm. you can see that starting to form around NFTs. Of course, there's so many scams out there. What's going to be the blue check mark version of all these things? But uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating development. And, you know, we talk about Bored Apes. ApeCoin, Bored Apes, the other verse, the, the whole ApeCoin has just gone bananas, if you excuse the pun. Um, I, I, I mean, I had a chat with Raoul about it, why he bought his ape. I know his thesis. From a distance, Ash, do you feel positively towards it or are you, are you a skeptic in this regard? I'm, I'm really curious what you think of the whole thing. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. I mean, I think we're seeing, particularly uh, in Bored Apes, we're seeing this ecosystem get born in a way that's starting to develop in, I think, really interesting ways in terms of the content that's being created around it, in terms of the ecosystem, in terms of the governance, uh, in terms of the interactivity. Uh, so I'm, I, I, and I think the art is really cool, and, and I find it absolutely intriguing. Now, with all of that said, uh, I think it's really important that people who are listening to this understand the difference between, you know, investing or buying a board ape, perhaps might be the better term, uh, and and investing in, you know, investment grade bonds. These are very different things. And it's, I think it's really important that people understand that continuum of risk. Again, as we were saying earlier, not backed by any inherent cash flows. Uh, but it is absolutely fascinating. And I think that the people who are buying in right now, Board Apes right now are trading at a, at a floor of 120 uh, Ethereum, which is about $360,000. So the folks who are going into the space obviously have uh, a fair amount of cash to spare. Whether or not uh, you know buying a $360,000 Ape uh, is something that is wise. Look, that's a that's a question that that the people who are buying it need to answer. I mean, we were, we were talking a little bit, I think, um, offline about Moonbirds, which is one of the the hottest uh, topics. I'm surprised it took us 30 minutes to get to Moonbirds today. I think the art is <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, but but again, right now a floor price of 20 Ethereum. That's about 60 grand. Now, where you stand on investing $60,000 in a piece of art, that's something that's obviously a, a very individual decision. Look, I worked at a bank with a guy who bought a pair of speakers for about $60,000, and he loved them. I think he built a room around them, right? For him, it was, you know, he was making obviously a lot of money. He was doing very well. Uh, and so it was something that was fun and interesting for him to do. And if you're thinking about NFTs in a similar vein, uh, I think that that's, you know, totally cool and that's your decision. But people really do need to understand, I think, something about their asset allocation uh, and what they're investing in in terms of its speculative nature. I think you also need to understand who also bought them and when they bought them, because there's a whole bunch of dynamics going on here that, that define the, the nature and the hierarchies of the communities. And I, I'm fortunate that I've, I've been at the early stages of these Discord channels for a lot of these projects. And it is interesting how you, you go through these phases. The whales come in and they become cartels and then they wash out because they get bored and they move on to the next thing. And then you get this next wave of more sophisticated, more thoughtful, quote unquote, investors who decide that they want to add value in some way. And it could be you know, through creating networks like Gaio Series, the perfect example of this with the Board Ape Yacht Club. He opens doors to celebrities and two other things that might happen, but that sheen of excitement and gloss that the celebrities added to the board apes was was completely unthinkable so you have this club membership where you are in the same club as you know all of these famous people and you're like wow i am somebody i'm somebody <laughs> and i think that's the whole allure of the moonbirds it's kevin rose mm -hmm. whether or not you like kevin rose and whether you think he's worth being in a room with proof collective which is this collection of a limited number of membership tokens that are going for around 100 ETH that put you in a Discord channel with Kevin Rose and a bunch of other people. I, I know people who are in there. They said it's basically a bunch of mumblecore enthusiasts 
kind of <laughs> dribbling over their kids while they change their nappies or diapers, sorry for the US audience. I was like, oh, that doesn't seem to me worth 100 ETH, but of course I'm being cynical. But Cami, the, the, the membership thing is something obviously we have to think about because of the Defiant and you know mm -hmm. what defines a membership. What do you think of the value proposition of, of something like Proof Collective? Uh, I don't know. For me, it's it's hard to kind of um, put a price on it. Uh, maybe you know, like for me personally, like it's it's not very attractive. Like I wouldn't pay that much uh, just to be on a Discord with. Um, okay, so it's it's Kevin Rose with. You know, he's a, a well-known figure in the NFT world. Um, he has a podcast, and um, there's like other. There, there's a thousand members in this Proof Collective. There's other big names like people involved. Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, oh, who else? Mike. Uh, no, uh, Justin Metzel, who I don't know who, who he is, uh, but um, so there's like this array of, of like NFT influencers, artists, uh, who I think, you know, for 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 some people, it, it might be really alluring to to be a part of the same club. Like I I get the appeal. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is. You know, it's like to create this sort of uh, community that can sustain this this sort of price tag um which i think the 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 price of like what's the price of, of the um, of the proof right now it's like 98 ether is, yeah is it's, that been right? around, it's been around 100 ETH. yeah 100 ETH. so like three hundred thousand dollars to be a part of a club uh of famous people around nfts I don't know. That's a bit mind blowing to me, but I I still kind of understand why somebody would if they have like all that cash. What would you know? They want to be cool and be part, be a part of this club, sure. Um, but you know, this this is what what that is. Uh, it's belonging. It's community. It's being a part of something bigger than you. Uh, and and those are themes that are you know have been around for as long as human beings have been around. That's what religion is really. So you know. It's it's another form of uh, of belonging and believing in something. And if you want to believe in these pixelated birds, then you know people should be you know happy and able to. I guess um, I, I, I it still kind of blows my mind. Uh, I I really kind of don't really get just like these like incredibly high price tags. Um, yeah, it's just like blown off every record. Like in two days, they they sold 200 million, over 200 million, in 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 Moonbirds. Um, the volume is already topping uh, Board Apes. It's it's beating Asukis. It's beating like I was talking about blue chips, like all the NFT blue chips chips. Uh, these birds are are beating and and it's not. I mean, the artist is fine, but it's because this group of well-known people is is behind it um well it, it might be or it might be something else entirely which is just a very well-coordinated marketing campaign because that's also wash possible. trading yeah and, that, i mean and, the, the, there yeah. there were like accusations of that of manipulation and wash trading so that's that's true <laughs> to, to give them their fair due they they launched another uh, project called grails and they had 20 unknown artists and amongst them were tim ferris and guy gary vinachuk and 
Gremlin, Tyler Hobbs, probably the most well-known art blocks uh, mm. generative artist, Alexis Sahanian. I mean, like they're connected. This is basically you're buying a Rolodex here or connection yeah. to a Rolodex. And yeah, it's not for me. You know, uh, Scott Fitzgerald uh, wrote, the test of a truly first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing views in the mind and still retain the ability to function. Look, here's where we are. On one hand, yeah. you're absolutely partying like it's 1999. I remember the dot-com bubble. Uh, I was uh, one of the early, I was one of the young guys in my 20s uh, at that point. I remember the kind of euphoric, uh, explosive price action that we saw back then. Uh, fortunes were made. Fortunes were lost. Uh, there were enduring companies that were built like Amazon. Uh, there were companies uh, like Pets.com that disappeared, never to be seen again. I think that's a very similar place to where we are today. The other side of that coin is that during that period, during the late 1990s, we saw the infrastructure of the internet built that has become absolutely integral to the lives uh, of just about everyone uh, today, not the sort of the, the narrow community that we see, for example, in the NFT space, which is the, to the point that both of you guys were making. I think we're seeing the development of these ecosystems that is going to be uh, the way that communities, uh, the way that uh, people interact. There's just a tremendous amount of, of fascinating stuff that's being done here. But the price action, uh, you know, it's like flip a coin, whether it's going to go up or down today or tomorrow. You know, you, you see these 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 numbers, as Cami points to, uh, these just incredible run-ups uh, in the value of these NFTs that fundamentally aren't backed by any cash flows. And yet, uh, you know, you could see a, a significant retrenchment. We've seen these downturns uh, where there have been huge losses in tokens. We've seen uh, uh, this, obviously, uh, in the NFT space. We've seen it clearly in the DeFi space. So buyer beware. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So that takes us nearly to our final story where we are talking about a major loss in a DeFi governance exploit. This is Beanstalk Farms that lost $182 million in, in an exploit. And it, and it wasn't even really what you could call an exploit. It was just taking advantage, which uh, that is exploiting something. But essentially, Beanstalk Farms yeah. operates a, an algorithmic stablecoin, and they're very proud of the way they do it um, using a credit-based system. To be honest with you, I didn't really understand it. It's so full of farming metaphors. I kind of got lost in the weeds. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! But they, they have a governance system, they have a governance token, and a, an attacker was able to uh, take over the, the governance by basically taking it out a flash loan and then grabbing 67% of the vote and ushering through um, a proposition that would allow them to drain everything in the account. So this is a stable coin that's supposed to be pegged to the US dollar. As I look at it now, it is worth three cents. And for the first time in my life, I see a total value locked on the platform of negative $258,000. I've never seen that before. This is a catastrophe, <laughs> an absolute <laughs> disaster. So, um, I mean, I guess the main talking point is like, this is well, this wasn't a VC backed uh, DeFi protocol. They literally said, we are fucked because there's nothing they can do about it. They, 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 there was a vulnerability, someone exploited it and they're done. 
and this is supposed to be a stable mm. coin. Yeah, it's 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 pretty bad, and the numbers are massive as well. This wasn't just a kind of um, kind of mini thing. This was this is a significant amount of capital people have put into this thing. But I guess, Cami, like algorithmic stable coins are they're a lot of fun. <laughs> they're so sketchy <laughs> as well. They really are. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like the interesting points here are. Um, Obviously, kind of the the risk of uh, of very early uh, DeFi protocols. Uh, this had uh, this one had just been launched. Uh, when whenever uh, there's there's a project without that much history and um, and with a lot of you know assets uh, at stake, there will be a big incentive for uh, for hackers to come in and figure out how to exploit it. So anyone using uh, a, a very kind of recently launched DeFi project should be very very careful. Um, and the other like interesting point here is uh, around uh, governance uh, governance mechanisms. So this hacker. It was able to use this amazing innovation in DeFi, which are flash loans. Uh, that um, you know how how these works. You're able to borrow as much as as you want, as long as you return that amount in the same block. So uh, this tool has been really uh, frequently used uh, by hackers because it doesn't require any any capital. Uh, that's that's the thing. Like you don't need uh, collateral. To, you don't need to put up any collateral to to take to take out uh, these loans. So if you have all all this capital on hand, um, and these protocols um, have governance that's tied to uh, to uh, tokens to uh, uh, amounts held in tokens, then these governance systems can uh, can open up. Uh, these kinds of exploits um, and risks. So there's there was um, a lot of debate that uh, uh, that emerged from this hack around around governance and 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 whether uh, these protocols should even have it. Uh, I, I think I, I saw Vitalik tweeting that maybe they shouldn't. That they should just like be made uh, to run and and maybe you know there 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 can be governance for very kind of marginal decisions that that wouldn't affect kind of the the money side um uh, of how the like how the protocol works uh to minimize this this kind of risk so um i think you know obviously it, this this has is one of the biggest problems in DeFi. um token governance is far from perfect I think it creates risk. Um, it creates oligopolies in the way that it's structured. Basically, whoever owns the most tokens has the most power and is able to um, change the, the protocol in whatever way they want, including uh, draining it uh, in the way that it, it happened uh, in this case. So, I mean, uh, I, I, I guess like, yeah, main point is be very careful with recently launched uh, DeFi projects. And um, it's something to kind of uh, take into account or think when thinking about how uh, governance should be designed uh, in DeFi. Yes, I mean, if something is to be decentralized, it kind of has to be organized around a decentralized voting process. But this was a real cock up. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a, a show entirely of its own. I, I was I was reading uh, the story on CoinDesk. It seems that uh, the 
person who executed the exploit, the person or people who executed the exploit, uh, took out a flash loan on Aave, uh, which they then uh, used to to purchase the governance token and then to to drain uh, to drain the funds. Uh, you know, this is kind of like we were talking about this off camera, saying that this isn't a, a code exploit per se. Uh, that's a little bit like saying sort of the you know the operation was a success, but the patient died anyway. This is an, an incredibly sort of murky area. Uh, if 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 you don't have governance tokens, is the protocol truly decentralized on the one hand? And on the other, uh, if if being able to take a loan, uh, a flash loan in another DeFi protocol, purchase the governance tokens and then drain uh, effectively the treasury of a stable coin uh, is is something that can be executed through the decentralized uh, governance token. Uh, is that something that you that you can countenance in, in a way that allows this to exist. These are existential questions, I think, uh, about the way uh, the DeFi is going to work. But by the way, another big question that we didn't talk about going into this is this idea of what an algorithmic stablecoin is. I mean, the general, I think it's almost a, a definition by exclusion, for me at least, uh, an algorithmic stablecoin is a stablecoin that doesn't hold assets in collateral uh, that represent uh, the value of the token, but rather have some sort of algorithmic mechanism. And I think it's probably important for people to understand why this is something that folks are trying to do. The idea here is basically that if you can have true algorithmic stablecoins, you're able to effectively decouple from the traditional dollar-based fiat uh, banking and financial system. This is obviously a, a goal that many folks in the DeFi ecosystem, in the crypto space, are, are eager to pursue. I actually went up to the uh, the Medium page uh, for for um, for Beanstalk and read this. This is their this is their description of, and they don't actually use the phrase algorithmic stablecoin, which is interesting. But they say, "quote Beanstalk does not have any collateral requirements. Beanstalk uses credit instead of collateral to create price stability relative to non-native assets." What does that mean? Does anyone know what that means? I don't know what that means. I looked. <laughs> I looked for about half an hour and I read it through and I watched the videos and I still didn't see anything that would ever make me want to part with hard capital. Um, yeah, the, the algorithmic stablecoin is, is basically, it's an algorithm that determines the supply. So you have these elastic right. supplies which contract and expand according to demand. And some of them are very successful and very resilient like UST right. and, on, and Luna. And, they, and, they and the idea the, is that the supply elasticity uh, then keeps the the stable coin within a trading a stable trading band. But this is something that is is highly theoretical, and it's actually really interesting uh, because it almost seems like we're having this convergence uh, of this being picked up in mainstream financial media. Uh, Bloomberg did a very long detailed piece uh, about Terra and Doquan. Uh, I think on Monday, uh, the Wall Street Journal has a piece out about uh, algorithmic stable coins right now. So so these questions about how these things function, and as you point out, you know you you can make it sound very elegant and mathematical. Well, you know, the supply is elastic, right? But fundamentally, the question is, is there demand for the digital assets uh, that are going to be created and destroyed or, or, or going to be held uh, relative to the, to the assets that are created and destroyed? These, these are totally open questions. And the real answer to this is, I was joking offline, uh, NBRFK. Nobody really fucking knows how this stuff is going to work. And nobody wants to sound stupid and say, you know, I, yeah, I read the white paper and I don't understand it, right? But that's that's where we are. And that's what makes this an incredibly exciting space, an incredibly interesting space. But also the flip side, obviously, tremendous risk, tremendous instability. And when you see $182 million getting drained in one of these hacks, it really does make you think about it. And it brings it home in a very concrete way.
But I don't know if the if if in this case the um, the the exploit or hack or or failing of of Beanstalk was because of its alg algorithm. Like it's not because it was like an algorithmic stablecoin that this thing happened. It's be I think it like the yeah. the exploit here like the risk was the governance uh, mechanism. Uh, but of course, like the fact that it is an algorithmic stablecoin just like added risk uh, to this protocol because these things are. Uh, pretty untested. Like there hasn't been, they, they haven't been around for that long. There's not like a history of of um, stress that they have weathered well. Um, Terra did, uh, you know, uh, did have this this uh, kind of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, this test, I guess, uh, at some point last year, uh, yeah, it was, where it, it, it was, did decouple and then came back. Well, it depegged. Um, so, yeah, it depegged. It depegged and, and, yeah. and it was because there was a catastrophic loss of value in Luna, uh, which was just correlated yeah. to the rest of the market. And But it recovered. Right. So, 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 right, so it recovered that's, because that's the, the rest of the market. Question. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I, I think, like, Ash, you you, you pointed to it, uh, yeah, it, it, and that's exactly right. It's like the, the big question for these algorithmic stablecoins is, can they withstand uh, a, a big crash or a, or a prolonged bear market? And, you know, since they have just started to emerge in, in this last bull run, we, have, we haven't seen that yet. So, um, yeah, but in the case of Beanstalk, I, I don't think, I don't know if they'll recover and I don't know if we'll be able to test that out. <laughs> well, for me, there's, there's only one test of a stablecoin. Is it stable? Beanstalk is now trading at three cents. Right. So no, therefore don't touch it. <laughs> Maybe, it it, it failed. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. And it doesn't matter mm. what test you throw at it. This It failed on the governance side of things, but it's still yeah. de-pegged. Therefore, experiment failed. Game over. The end. Mm. Um, I, love, I love algorithmic stablecoins. My favorite is called Gyroscope. Go check it out. It will blow your mind. And thankfully, it's very small. Very small. But yeah, that's a really fascinating one. Sorry, <laughs> I, I jumped experiment. in on you, Ash. No, I was going to say, I think experiment is exactly the right word, right? That, you know, these are these are folks who are wearing uh, white lab coats and you've got a bunch of test tubes on the table. And it's really cool because this is how the frontier of knowledge gets expanded uh, is by doing these experiments and by hashing through these and by seeing uh, where the flaws are and where the catastrophic failures are, quite frankly. Um, but again, not financial advice, but I certainly wouldn't be betting the farm on this, right? And that's the risk is that individual retail investors are out there uh, and they see a track record of something, you know, that's like 12 or 24 months and they get really excited about it and they're generating 15 or 20% yield, which is obviously something uh, that's far beyond what you can earn in a bank account now uh, by orders of magnitude. Uh, and the risk is that people are going to get hurt. And this is this tension that, that Cami was alluding to earlier and that we've been talking about throughout the show between uh, the the sort of the the, the feeling uh, amongst people, particularly uh, in the regulatory space, that investors need protection, and on the other side of the coin, this idea that we're watching the future get developed here. You know, I, nobody has a crystal ball, but I suspect if we were to come back here in 2032, we would see a great deal more of this. This is an innovation that is truly, I think, one of the the most fascinating things that we've seen since the creation of the internet. The idea that trust can be distributed in a network without a centralized party uh, being in control. This is really novel stuff. It's really fascinating stuff. But occasionally, as we just saw, the test tubes blow up uh, and sometimes the laboratory catches on fire. Over to you, Cami. How do you follow that? Ash was on fire. 
Yeah, no, totally agree. I, I think a few things. Um, and I'm going to go with a couple of cliches. I think, like, first, like, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. So this, you know, these exploits, these failings, these crashes, they're, they're the price to pay for remaking finance. I mean, what, what more could you expect? Um, so I, I think this is all worth it, to be honest. Like, we are witnessing something revolutionary um, and uh, remaking kind of the rails of, of the internet itself and, and of finance. Um, so, you know, things are going to break uh, in, in the process. Um, the other cliche uh, I was thinking about is uh, there's no free lunch, um, high risk, uh, high high reward. Um, that's what's going on uh, with with DeFi. So yeah, if if you're seeing twenty percent yield, there's probably a lot of risk uh, involved there. Uh, but you know, I believe that people should be able to do what they want with their money, um, and that uh, you know, if if you have all all the resources you need are in front of you, you have access to the internet. There is. Uh, many ways where you can do uh, your own research. And if you decide to put your money in beanstalk farms, then that's your decision uh, and people should take responsibility. Uh, I do not believe that there should be a third party telling people what they can and, and, and can't do. And I think that's the beauty of this space that anyone can access it and it's all open and, and permissionless um, and you can participate in, in these wonderful monetary exper experiments, whether uh, you're here in Brooklyn or whether you're uh, my, my, my mom in Chile. And I think that's beautiful. Well, Cami said it so well right there. There's very little to add to that, except, you know, sometimes the cliches are cliches because they, they, they touch on some underlying truth. And, and that's why we have these conversations, right? We're out on the frontier trying to figure out what's happening right now. We can see that the ball is in motion. We just don't know exactly where it's going to land. Uh, and these conversations are a way of just trying to frame that, trying to understand it, uh, trying to figure out a way of making sense of these evolving paradigms. They're just shifting so incredibly fast. Yes, well said. I, I find it fascinating. I was trying to reflect on my NFT journey because I, I kind of went berserk mm. last year and seeing Bored Apes now where they are and trying to wrap my head around just how much has happened. Because it, you, there's this weird idea that the Bored Ape ecosystem is basically the Ethereum of NFTs and mm. that we're witnessing the birth of something genuinely significant with a great deal more room to grow. And that thesis could be heavily tested in, in the coming years, but I'm genuinely excited and horrified by it in equal measure. But two people I'm not horrified by at all, Ash Bennington and Camilla Risa, thank you so much for joining us. We <laughs> promise not to depeg the Real Vision vs. The Defiant, and the only floor we will be dropping onto will be the eighth floor as we watch it in horror rise inexorably towards God knows what number. Thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next week for more of the same. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.